from the heart of the Forest City, focusing on the biggest stories in London, this is the Craig Needles Podcast. Now here's your host, Craig Needles. It's the Craig Needles Podcast. It's the Friday Roundtable at ClassicRock981.com, LondonNewsToday.ca on your very favorite podcast apps. And we are joined here in the studio today by uh, PhD candidate AJ Ray. We are joined by City of London Budget Chair Elizabeth Peloza and former City Councilor Hollywood Cheryl Miller. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. <laughs> hey. I, this is my first day without a house phone. Okay. Oh. Ever since they had landlines. I you don't have a landline? Not you, you got rid of it? Got wow. rid of it. Not going to wow. lie, I have never had a landline in my life I, <laughs> since, I, I, since I moved out of my parents' house. I'm in the same boat. I <laughs> party lines, but the damn scammers call me at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, right? Well, nobody wants that. No, yeah. done. Done. Uh, finished. Yeah. Goodbye. Yep. Out you come. Yep. Beautiful thing about cell phones. We got rid of them. Yeah. <laughs> and you can just turn, you can turn the ringer off when you don't want to hear from people and all that, that lovely stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Uh, let's talk about some stuff going on at the city this week. I was at City Hall on whatever day it was. I think it was Tuesday when they were talking about what we're going to do with Budweiser Gardens. And Tours of London was there and staff from Budweiser Gardens and from Ovations Group, uh, OVG 360. They, they've re- branded so many times yeah, I forget I what they're called all the time it doesn't matter it, it used to be what were they spectrum. when it used to be spectrum when you made the deal with them in 2000 yeah. uh, now they are saying that Budweiser Gardens needs a bit of a renovation needs a bit of a facelift the building is 20 years old so that comes that stands to reason but 33 million dollar price tag with the city on the hook for 80 percent of the 33 million dollars some people got their backs up over that a little bit, especially when you start going line by line over some of the things that they're requesting here. And it is a big ask. Uh, 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 Elizabeth, you're not on the committee that uh, was discussing this, but this is obviously going to come to full council. What, what, what are your thoughts on this and, and, and where it's at right now as far as this project goes? Um, also, Adam, acting mayor right now as everyone else is away. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So you are currently the mayor of London as we <laughs> have this conversation. Thank you to everyone for not doing anything yeah. well, Everyone behave. Yeah. <laughs> no shenanigans yeah. until Monday afternoon. Um, I also serve on the Tourism London board. So realizing it's a huge tourism draw and part of the money, I appreciate they've done their ask in phases for funding. And a lot of the funding is coming from the municipal accommodation tax that we charge visitors for hotel stays. So it is intended that that money roll back in and create more tourism to create more revenue. And with the ask of 80% being put in, the city also pulls 70% of the revenue out that it's generated. And we do own that facility. A lot of learners yeah, yeah. don't know that we actually own that asset. And that's Important. why I did that on the podcast on Tuesday. I just wanted to like so let people know sort of what the facts are because mm-hmm. a lot of people were comparing this to oh some of these deals that have gone bad in the states where we buy <laughs> yeah. sports teams for <laughs> or Calgary. Buy, yeah, yeah, Calgary is <laughs> another example where we buy something for Murray Edwards, who's a billionaire, and buy him a nice hockey arena. No, the city of London owns that facility. That changes the entire tenor of the conversation. I'm not saying that means you automatically do this, but the city of London owns that facility. So that has to be up front when you're talking about whether this is a good idea. Uh, Cheryl, I also mentioned that Tuesday podcast that if it wasn't for you and Gord Hume and a few other people, this rink that we're talking about would have 5,000 seats in it and it would be out by the 401. Instead, it's in the downtown core. Uh, I, I know that you're passionately in favor of doing this. Why? Oh, well, if you don't upgrade then you downgrade, right? It's like, oh, my, my house needs a new roof up, leave it, you know, what's the benefit? I think, I think what we, we don't get in this city, when I, I think about when it first opened, you know, uh, the newsroom at the London Free Press had a hell of a time, good, they named it the John. Well, we all know what the John is. 
Labatt stepped in, and Labatt said, no, no. And so, like, there's that kind of nonsense that started right from the get-go. This is going to fail. One of our counselors insisted we have the blackouts because we'll always use them because nobody goes to arena. But the difference is that this was built as an entertainment complex. And I credit Vic Cote and his vision to listen and really prepare a great report that said, put in flywheels. The reason we can have uh, uh, concerts and the reason that we can have Broadway down there is because we have flywheels which change the set. So he crafted with our partners a deal that was the only deal we would ever have to open and get that built it was not good times. We ran an election on it. They circled the block, everything. It was not good times back there to build uh, an arena at that time for a hockey team, which it wasn't. It was never never the reason why. So, yeah, I think that if you don't keep it up, when do you know that our first act was share? And... We had people flying in from the United States, California, because they couldn't buy tickets in the United States. They came up to London and stayed. Generates lots of dollars. Elizabeth, you know that. It generates lots well, of dollars. Pearl Jam and Foo oh, Fighters absolutely. and Bob Dylan. Oh, and yeah. like, you know, it's... You know, Elton John. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> AJ, is this, a, is this a good expenditure of not $33 million? Because some of this, of course, uh, would be paid for by OVG360. But is this a good expenditure in your opinion? Well, it's important, I think, you know, what Deputy Mayor... Uh, or acting mayor Ploza has put forward. It's important to remember where this money's coming from. It's coming from an accommodation tax. Right. The accommodation tax has requirements under the legislation of what it can be spent on. I think actually my only criticism of this plan is I don't think it goes far enough. Ooh. This place has been sold out since day one, has been continually sold out. It is the envy of colleagues that I work with in the International Economic Development Council. So. This is economic developers from all over the world. They're envious of the fact that we are a mid-sized city that has this large of a downtown entertainment venue that pulls in such global acts on a stop strategically between Detroit and Toronto. Mm -hmm. To me, we should be talking about an expansion, adding seats, many more seats, because (laughs) it's clearly that there's demand there. The other thing that I want to bring into this conversation Downtown is growing, and the city's really embarking down this strategy of, which we'll get into, converting commercial to residential or adding more residential in the core area. We don't have a major recreation center in the core area yet. It's the Y, which is a private facility. And so I think we also need to be having a discussion about where is that rec center going to go, and how are we going to pay for it, and how are we going to build it? Hmm. And that's a very fair question. Uh, I, I I do note that I asked Brian Ol, the general manager of Budweiser Gardens, about, hey, was there ever expa- a plan surrounding expanding the seating capacity? He said he didn't think that, that was something they needed to do. He thought that 9,000 is a good number for them. Now, there are some people that disagree with that. They think that we need to have a, a if we're going to spend this kind of cash, we're going to need a bigger facility out of it. Uh, Elizabeth, a lot of your co- uh, colleagues are, are really uh, want to do their due diligence on this. And, and, and I, I think that's understandable. Do you think this is something that's going to, uh, uh, I don't even know if rough ride is the, is the right term, but do you think this is something that's going to generate a lot of conversation at council when it gets there uh, at the start of next month? 
We seem to generate a lot of conversation about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a fact. Whether there's action taken. There's yeah. yeah, I think really making sure that the assets have come forward, that they have a plan for, um, is the first start of the conversation before it's the long-term planning of what do we need, where is this going? Realizing the downtown absolutely is short on community amenity space um, available, a community center, a rec center, green space. Like what is the long-term vision for the city as we look at underutilized sections of what's the city's part to play? And even being at the Briar and on the tourism board, even to get the Briar here, which was great, sold yeah. out, brought in people from all over. Yeah. Even to get that here, there was the issues with food service, then you'd have like tents and then security go with the tents. And even the boxes that are required for media and the host families. It's like, can the city of London give them up? Can any corporations give up their boxes in order to fill our contractual obligations? Yeah. Which yeah. I think, you know, when this is a municipal facility, those conversations become a lot easier. And I also think some of the councillors need to understand it's a municipally owned facility. <laughs> Long term, if there ever is problems, you can take control of it. It's not like a situation that we're seeing in a lot of U.S. cities as well as Calgary where you're beholden to this billionaire owner that is wanting to get his hundreds of millions or he's going to move the team. I think we're, we're dealing with a much different calculus here. And I think it is an overall good investment, especially when you consider that, you know, Hard Rock is going to be opening out in the East End. There's a lot of other hotels that are exploring upgrades down the road. And we're inviting a lot more people into the downtown and London is one of the fastest growing metros in Canada. Let's exactly. plan ahead a bit. Exactly. <clears throat> if they put another thousand in, you know, is that going to address it? Like I'm fortunate. <clears throat> I bought my tickets right from the get-go <laughs> and we've had them 20 years and I passed them on to my son <laughs> because that's the way it happens. And there's still a demand for tickets. You're absolutely right. And the demand is a good thing. Yeah. You know, you, you want to keep people waiting. <clears throat> when you so I guess the argument would be, would you rather have a 9,000-seat arena that a whole bunch of extra people want to get into but can't, or a 15,000-seat arena where you're selling 12,000 seats right. and there's 3,000 empty? Exactly. And, and, and reasonable people can disagree on that. But yep. you're right that the core is growing, and perhaps the demand for seats at events at that building is going to grow. I just don't know, like, and I'm not an architect, but... How, do are we able to expand that building the way it's currently set up and have a whole lot more seats in there? I don't know. My understanding is that building was designed to the south end, yeah, to potentially punch out walls and go up another level. Right. Now, how many seats that would add is probably two to three thousand. It's not you know a major expansion, um, but you know what I was raising about the rec center really mm -hmm. was we're seeing in a lot of uh, growing cities. When you have a major arena complex, and it's typically a, a NHL level team, but let's agree here, you know, OHL is pretty big here in Ontario. Um, you often are solving a downtown core problem of a lack of rec space by building, let's say, a combo practice and exercise facility that is also open to the public. And so I think perhaps councillors have a more productive conversation here. I would encourage them to think about not how this $33 million is going to only be spent on an arena or upgrade, if, if. how this $33 million down the road could finance um, and help support more community amenities in the core. But don't forget, we put in the threeplex 
the fourplex actually at Western Fair the, yes. around the same time. <clears throat> that was practice ice, and the city upfronted that uh, because we we had rental fees and we get the money back on that way. <clears throat> so sometimes the city has got to be looking forward. Uh, unfortunately, what they always say is, "Well, you don't need that much," you know. Well, yeah, you're right. We're growing. Yeah. We're going in that direction. But the other thing to think about is this report that they're talking about with the downtown. Yeah, let's maybe, get into that. Maybe that's a discussion to have with property owners about turning theirs into residential with a gymnasium in there. I mean, there's all kinds of opportunities to work and keep it downtown. I look at Vito, what he did to an old church. Um, so, and then now he's got the basketball. So, so the growth is there, and it's downtown. You've got York, who's going to be building by the, uh, the Fork of the Thames. So there's some talks that could happen and partner with the city because we're a good partner. Yeah. We're going to be here, and we're going to keep growing, and people want to use it. AJ, you, you read that report. We're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. the vacancy within the core. And yeah. Yeah. and uh, obviously we want more residential space in the core. And as I look out my window here, uh, <laughs> if I looked around a couple of buildings, I could see some cranes in the sky, which is good. That's what we want. Yeah. What was your reaction to that report, AJ? Four wishful P's. thinking. Yeah. yeah. Four, um, four Ps. Yeah. yeah. Wishful thinking. <laughs> I, there was some things in there that I honestly thought was laughable to be putting in a strategy because they're just basic common sense. Yeah. Like... One of the one of the key strategies is putting ground level signage for for lease. Come on, like any property owner knows to do that if they're actually going to be leasing their property. There are some property owners though that don't want to lease right now because they have structural issues with their property, yeah. or they understand that the market is not looking for the Class C space that they have. And so I think another fundamental flaw with this report is. It's not actually realistic on inventorying what commercial space is a potential candidate for residential conversion. There's a lot of wishful thinking that's going on right now of just saying, well, we've got a lot of empty commercial buildings. Obviously, they can all become residential. No, 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 no. It is incredibly expensive to convert buildings. You can't convert all the buildings because the floor plates are much different from what a residential standard is. And unfortunately, here in Ontario, municipalities don't have the luxury of setting their own building codes. And so one of the biggest challenges, every bedroom requires a window in the Ontario building code. The only way you make most commercial office conversions happen is getting rid of that interior or that exterior window requirement because that's how the floor plans work well you can do you can do sky uh, moonlights in them uh, they're looking at things differently because yeah. we just went through it with the Jones place because we wanted to put in more units but the the bylaw says and the zoning says you have to have windows yeah. and and all that stuff is doable but when you make a report with all these silly little bitty recommendations and place people whatever's the other two piece um that promotion i think yeah it yeah. it's 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 like it's like a pandering to me that's a report that goes on the shelf yeah. you know i think the 
the owners of the properties downtown are fed up with reports. They're fed up with, with the little gimmicky things. They're fed up with everything. And part of the problem they're experiencing, too, we can't lose sight, that before you could only have office space in the downtown. Now that's changed. You've got a office space east, west, south. So once you take the office space out of the core, then you lose that kind of control. So this is a bigger issue than four Ps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be interested to hear acting Mayor Pelosi's <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on this. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to review the report because I think it was only released yesterday. But Yeah, no, I thoroughly read through it and had a call with staff already this morning regarding it. Yeah. Um, it's a report, definitely not a plan. Yeah. Right. Um, a bit of everything in there. I like that there's an opportunity as the budget chair too to put toward forward some ideas out of it that are actually implementable and doable uh, into the multi-year budget plan with potential funding set aside for it. Reading within the report that they're looking for a staff department or contact that just handles core issues. I also have some people in the community coming to me um, realizing a lot of the nonprofit arts and culture people can't have a hard time navigating mm -hmm. the, the rent, but they have so much money, they're getting funding, they want a space, their space available, but they don't know how to connect with it. So hopefully an easier way to connect people with money and people with space and getting some of those storefronts filled. And really concerned with the report as we're three years out of, you know, since COVID started and realizing that a lot of those leases are five to seven years. And when those leases start coming up, are people gonna downsize those spaces that are already in ample supply? And um, B and C class properties, or are they just going to pull out and go somewhere else or just do all remote workplace? So concerned about that too and what it could do to our core. And I think you need to pursue the promise made in the last provincial election that the Workmen's Compensation Board was coming to London. When is that happening? Is it in the, the works? Absolutely. And where are they located? Correct. Yeah. That's another so that's thing. that's a push that has to come locally because that was a promise made and don't tell me that he's going to say this is a promise made but this is another promise not kept. I I don't want to hear that. I think he made it and I I have great respect for Monty McNaughton and what he's doing and what he's accomplishing, but we have to remind him that that promise was made. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I'm going to keep an eye on is and I get that they put financial impact not known about the whole of community response and the strategy around locating the hubs. But I think there needs to be a very clear commitment through the budgetary process, through policy set at council over where those hubs are locating and capping the amount that are going in the core area. Because exactly. when someone's reviewing a five to seven year commitment, yep. if there's even a sniff that they're going to have to deal with three or four of these hubs within walking distance of their office, that's going to start going into the calculus a lot heavier than many good things that are going great about our downtown. I was a, always a great downtown proponent. I'd go, I'd shop, I'd go down there at least two or three times a week. I don't go down there anymore. Yeah. I don't. And There's a lot of Londoners that no. say that too. We we ran a survey first year into COVID of Londoners and we heard from 1,500 of them and many of them reported that they are not going to shop down in the core area. They're not going to start shopping down in the core area and many of them actually stopped shopping down there and choo chose to shop um, at Masonville and White Oaks because they liked the retail experience better. So 
these are uncomfortable questions that we're going to have to deal with around the council table. And I fortunately, you know, no offense to present company, um, I haven't been really impressed with a lot of the newer councillors and how they're (laughs) reacting to these issues. And it seems to be very much critique, 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 but not present any sort of action of how to move the policy forward. Again, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we're going to talk about later from this heritage piece, the solution is not going to come internally within staff. They're only doing what they've been told and what they've been told under existing council policy. The only way to change that is for council to change, change the, the policy. policy. Exactly. Yeah. So, Where's my bell? <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's where I'm at when it, when it comes to the, the downtown aspect of this is there's a lot of conversation and I, you know, within the community about, well, we've got all this retail space. Why don't we just convert into residential space? And that's going to solve a lot of our problems because we, we don't have enough residential space. We don't have enough homes. And I, I think everyone agrees on that. Yeah. And we, based on what happened with the pandemic and the way that corporations and general, like we just have more, way more office space than we need in this community. That is absolutely the case. However, and of the wrong quality, and of the wrong yeah. quality. Yeah, and and people say, well, you know, and and they go after Shmuel Fari, wherever it happens to be. Well, you know, uh, why is he not renting out this building or that building? Uh, a lot of these buildings are not in the condition that anyone's going to want to rent them, no matter what he was up to. But, yeah. So there's there's that part of the conversation as well. Uh, here's the thing: it's really difficult. And AJ, you were talking about this earlier. It's really difficult to change a residential space like Market Tower, as an example into a place where a bunch of people can live. It turns out that if you're running an office, you need two bathrooms. If you want there to be, you know, 45 uh, residential accommodations in there, you need 45 bathrooms. That changes the plumbing significantly. You need showers, you need sinks, you need kitchens. That is very, very different from what you need in an office space. And I, 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 that, that sounds obvious, but I think that people are of the belief that you can just change one to the other and that's not the way this works so the, the direction i would like to see from council and i'm you know with i see you looking at me yeah. I see you. <laughs> from this report is some sort of direction to actually do an inventory of what is there with real architects real planners work with the developers and the property owners to figure out what are the actual candidate sites that could be converted to residential what are the cost implications associated with it? I am seeing a lot thrown around of, well, Calgary did it. Yeah. Well, let's put yeah. Calgary into context. Calgary spent $50 million. And also important to remember, Calgary had a different issue. The oil market collapsed when a bunch of Class A office was coming onto the market that had been in the pipeline for a decade. And so what happened was they had a bunch of extra Class A office, which was built to the newest standards of 16-foot ceilings and floor plates with internal access that eased that conversion to residential. They still had to spend $50 million to get 700 units, which is a $70,000 per unit subsidy. There's a lot of ways I would rather spend $70,000 to build brand new residential than try to you know, convert a white elephant that is sitting in the downtown. How many pockets of $70,000 do you have lying around City Hall, Elizabeth, right now? Uh, None. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) I think we have our answer. The (laughs) province needs to jump in. The feds need to jump in. I agree. Incentivize the the property owners by giving them, you, you know, you commit to this, 
we'll we'll subsidize the the plumbing or whatever you need. Yeah. That has to be a policy. It has to be a, a focus. It has to happen because municipalities can't do it all. Yes. And that's what's happened. It's all downloaded into your municipality. Don't forget where the money comes. It comes right out of your house taxes. That the other two levels have got to get on board. And because it's not just London thing. Yeah. It's it's yeah. an all over the place thing. What do you think, Elizabeth, as far as what we can do with the with, with the core here? Because there there is going to be a time for some sort of direction from you and your colleagues. Yeah, and it, it was interesting reading the report that the new builds are made with end-of-life conversion plans in them mm-hmm. to make it that they're modular. You can tear out part of it, build into it. But the buildings we have from the 60s and 70s weren't made with any of those considerations. So definitely costly. Potentially some of that money can maybe be part of community hub money, conversions, you know, supportive housing with some community partners. But once again, being careful not to get too much of a concentration in a certain area Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that you spread everyone out. You know, I I used to live in a rent gear to income building and everyone was different. And it's hard when you don't have enough to help yourself, let alone your neighbors, like, and then putting everyone together. Um, Was interesting the report and would like to see it implemented if staff can get it done of a new zone zoning for those buildings that we want to convert that people are interested in con- that would either waive fees or expedite the process to help get it done faster and have those conversations of what buildings are candidates in which owners of those buildings are actually interested in residential on in residential main floor yes that's yeah. always been part of the problem you can't have a residential yeah, changing on the main that floor, right yeah. that needs to change and you know, one of the other things that's unique. I think that's a problem, but like we can have buildings with commercial on the ground floor and then residential above. Yeah, but can we, but you can't but have residential on the main floor as commercial policy. above. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's so it that's the problem. limits the flexibility. Sure you know? it does. Then you know you're back to square one again of yeah. retail space that you know will be renovated to class A, but then you're pulling a bunch of people already out of existing class B. Like it's it's not adding new no. tenants. Yeah. It's just. Shifting, shifting the tenants that yeah. are currently yeah. here around. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I the other that. thing on this from a, I just want to touch on this because Mike, Mike Moffat's report this week kind of has set off a firestorm I've been made aware of among the universities in FCM. I saw this. Of yes. international <laughs> student permits. And there's two, two big actors in this city that have not really stepped up to the plate on any sort of social issue in this city. It's Western and it's Fanshawe. Fanshawe's got a campus downtown. Western's looking mm-hmm. to expand in the downtown. They also are not that far away on transit from the core area to their main campuses. No. If we're in the core they area are, now, Western University is there. a five-minute five bus ride from here? Five-minute yeah. bus ride from here, and there's buses that come probably every seven minutes. Depending on whether there's a train outside, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but what I want to point out there is there is a mass need for student housing. Yep, downtown. We know that. Mm-hmm. There is a mass need for it. And these are large institutions that like to pretend they're broke, but they actually sit on a massive amount of credit facilities through their endowments and through other funds. Student housing makes money. It never loses money. Mm-hmm. It has never lost money. It never loses That's money. That's ask all the investors that buy yeah. in yeah. London. Exactly. And so I would like to see a concerted effort as president of the Town and Gown Association of Ontario and someone who actually cares about municipal and university relationships for the city and the university and the college to step up and have a real conversation about where we're going to house 
all these students, especially considering Western's planning to go from 35,000 to 50,000 students in the next decade. Yeah. Where are those extra 15,000 students going to live? On your point, uh, realizing I, uh, my Ward 12 borders the Southland Fanshawe campus, yeah. having conversations with, I'm already having conversations with them as the new builds um, with Drulo on the corner of 1,200 units and realizing that yeah. inter- that campus only services international students. And when they arrived the first year, they assumed the campuses were close. They weren't, so they've done better information on that. But even for the students who want to stay close, the mall has done great outreach with them of like, there's some jobs here. Here's where you can like eat, shop, get your groceries. But currently in Ward 12, our apartments are 30 years old and the vacancy is really low. So the students can't find a place to live. And I've been trying to encourage some local residents if you want to do a conversion at your house. Like these are mature students coming in who already have certification who need a safe place to live in a community to integrate into but i think there's an application isn't there on on bradley and willow or bradley and dearness right across from the uh, bulk store plaza i thought there was an application because i had a number of calls from people on that street and i keep saying to them i have been gone from council (laughs) for over 15 years you still answer the phone right Hope you didn't give away the new cell number. <laughs> no, because when I took the phone out, they said, would you like a forwarding message that no. says, here, you can read here at this number. I'm going, hell no. Give the scammers. For any council number. issues, please contact the current counselor. Current <laughs> <laughs> counselor. That uh, should have been the forwarding message. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's, it's something that... You know, we as a, a city, and, and this is not specific, just a London problem. We have two large educational institutions, but it's a, a problem in this province that we simply don't have enough housing. And hey, I'm all for let's welcome international students, let's welcome people that want to live in Canada. That's great. I, I'm I'm all for it. But we have done a lack of planning to the detriment of the folks that are coming to live here, and to the detriment of a lot of people who already do live here. Yeah as far as what that means. So we're building, how many units are going to be at that? Uh, Just over 1,200. That's that's good. We should. Yeah. And that's units because yeah. some of them are like three-bedroom units, yeah. which yeah. is the first yeah. in South London, and York's development downtown is the first three bedrooms, and Ali told me they were the first to sell out. It was the three-bedroom yeah, units. Yeah, of course yeah. they do. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, but again, but you know, another built. example of a project that dragged on longer than it should have through the approvals process because we also have a problem on that side of getting things done in an efficient manner. Yeah, well, and I, I tweeted out uh, today when because uh, the folks with ACO London said, uh, hey, we should be working so we have less surface level parking lots in the core. And I fundamentally agree with this. Fundamentally beyond that. But that means that when someone wants to build something on a surface level parking lot, say, next to Centennial Hall, yeah. you can't throw a fit about it. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And a fit, uh, a, a fit was thrown about that, to be sure. A, a, yeah. a generational fit, I yes. think, was thrown. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that, that's, I think, the, 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 the balance that we've got to find a way to strike here. So there you go. Balance. Yes, balance <laughs> yeah. is what a word. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, speaking of the heritage conversation, I want to talk <laughs> about heritage, because there was a story that the folks over at CBC did this week, uh, Andrew Lupton. Uh, did a story involving a fella that uh, wanted to improve his front porch because there were some repair issues that needed to occur. It was a fundamental safety issue. The porch was falling off the house. Let's yeah. be clear what this was. This Seems, wasn't someone just doing an upgrade. It was falling off the house. Seems bad. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm no architect, but it seems if a porch is falling off the house, it's not what you want. Uh, so he uh, repairs the porch and spends, I think, uh, what, what did he say that he spent? It was $20,000. Around $20,000. Yeah, yeah, $20,000 to repair New footings. Porch. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it looked great. Yeah. It looks great. But the sin was instead of using wood, it was in fact vinyl. Uh, or whatever what was what, the material vinyl whatever it is uh, uh, it's yeah, composite yeah. vinyl composite that is made vinyl, to yes. look like wood yes it's yeah. perfectly acceptable material lasts much longer than any wood you can secure on the market now i understand that this is against the rules as written but to me this is one of those where you just kind of got to ignore the rules a little bit because you can't I, I know you can you honestly yeah. can't look the heritage i i've said do not support heritage districts because they turn into hysterical districts because of the stupidity. Let me tell you one story. Got an old guy sells his house. Too big. So what he does, no, he's going to sell his house. But then he moves and buys a small house. But he doesn't sell the house. He rents it, which is great accommodation in Old South. So he didn't apply for a rental license. Uh, when he applied for a rental license, they told him, your railing on the front porch is too short. You're going to have to heighten it, put an extension on the top. Or so. Heritage came in and said, no, you can't do that. You can't touch that railing. That railing is a heritage railing. So the two of them came before a committee that I happened to sit on to say, okay, this is this. <laughs> and guess what? Heritage went out. No. No? No, because... Is it heritage or is it safety? Safety won out at the committee. Oh, thankfully. But but then there, then there was an appeal by the heritage group. So like it's it's maniacal, crazy, but you can't. It's the same as okay. One other story, quickly. <laughs> People had uh, farmed for their second generation. They decided, okay, we're going to build on this, and the family is going to have the younger family living in it, and they're going to farm on site. They had to do an archaeological study um, because building the house was going to <laughs> move the soil around. Yep. And I said, well, what the hell do you do when you, when you bring those <laughs> damn machines in and do all that shit? Do you not move that Leave dirt Leave that dirt exactly <laughs> where you found it. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> they had to go through a heritage, I mean, archaeological study to build that house on a farm field that had been disrupted for hundreds of years. Yeah. Like, that's so stupid. Now, the um, archaeological one is a provincial mandate that the, the municipality doesn't have a chance to do anything about. You can't appeal it. You're stuck with it. Yeah. So does it make sense? Let's start right there in Queens Park. And let's start making common sense, like fighting like this, because you want to rent your house to somebody family good house for them but you can't because you can't get your permit because you didn't raise the porch because the heritage is saying like this is what we're living with yeah and it, it's it's too much of a focus on process and not <sighs> a focus on outcomes right and unfortunately my mentors in planning common refrain among that generation is a good process will always lead to good outcomes no. <laughs> we have now 20 years of evidence leading up to this crisis that we have on our hands now showing that a good process did not indeed lead to good outcomes. A good process led to probably some of the worst outcomes possible. Now, 
in fairness to the city, one of the main issues with this situation in particular is the contractor did not tell the client that they needed the heritage alteration permit. Yep. The contractor should be on the hook here, frankly. Totally. This and, is and why they that, have commercial Someone said insurance. that in my Twitter mentions yeah. as yeah. well. It's like, oh, th- this contractor does this for a living. Yeah. You've got to know what the... I understand yeah. how like most people don't understand what the rules yeah. are. Most people do not research this. But you, contractor, does this for a living. You've got to know what's up here. I think that's fair. And, now, they, and they obviously didn't apply for a permit. No, no. It, was a, it was a retroactive application. Yes. And you can't do that. Now, right. what I will fault the city for <coughs> is that a building permit was issued. And a building permit was brought forward yeah. without considering, well, whether or not a heritage alteration permit was in place, which to me, that's a logical step one plus step two yeah, equals step three. Yeah, one should trigger the other. Yeah. Like, say, yeah. by the way, that's yeah. yeah. good customer service. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it, like you should be able to look at the address and say, "Oh, wait a minute. There's a, yeah. a, there's a, a, a red light that goes off here. We should yeah. tell you that there's a heritage situation that needs to be at least considered here." And so now we have. So this comes to the outcome of this. So we've we have good intention processes that have led to a bad outcome. And the, the outcome is we have a property owner who has chosen to fix his property, mm-hmm. render think. a safer property, a high quality property. I've seen photos of it. It looks great Mm -hmm. that vinyl looks exactly like Like wood wood. it's going to last a lot longer if we want to talk about sustainability that vinyl is a lot more sustainable than a lot of wood that would have been purchased to restore that to whatever the the heritage committee is begging for here i don't think it's fair and i don't think it's wise for council to just say well, them's the rules. Got to rip it out and spend another eight grand to do it. When really the problem here and the only thing that's been harmed is someone put vinyl instead of wood. Oh, no. I think from this case, we've got a fine porch. It's safe. It meets building code. Let's move on with our time. Let's actually get staff back to focusing on accelerating real development applications that need to be approved to get accessory units online to get 1200 units through the process and approved instead of wasting our time fighting over whether and or not i don't think there's an appeal process that they oh, can go they through. can appeal it to the ontario land tribunal but uh-huh. the problem is you've got a two-year Nine, wait yep to get it even just for a pre-conference here. well that's that's good though because you got two years to enjoy your porch yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be honest i think the olt any olt member is going to look at this it. and laugh them out the room yeah yeah you used too. imitation wood instead yeah. of real wood yeah, yeah. and on private property where you have to be invited on in your trespass. That was designed to look like the original yeah. wood. Yeah. yeah, for the most part. I, I understand there, there are people out there who this would not apply to, but I think the vast majority of society, if you're standing on the sidewalk, yeah. you wouldn't know. You wouldn't know that yeah. that's... Yeah. Some people, there are experts who would be able to tell, but not me. Who cares, though? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who cares? Like, I, one of the guys I know, Scott, he's putting... Uh, a, the safer boards on his porch there was a complaint and the heritage showed up uh that's the i don't think that he said no that's the face it's not changing the the railings or anything it's making the porch so i don't fall through it like have we got enough staff that we can have people come out and look at some guy putting a wood floor on his deck redoing it because it was broken well when the residents complain you have to go out and check. And then people uh-huh. say, like, we complained and you didn't check. And yeah. it's like, no, I get it. what's yeah. the outcome of my report? And, yep. it's like, and oh. further than that, we talked about this earlier. Yeah. 
there are rules in place, and if you're a member of city staff, you're like, well, this is the rule, and this you didn't the follow the rule. I, I understand the that. The direction has to come from council, yeah. Yeah. but the direction itself also needs to come from senior leadership of the city, but they need the latitude from council to yeah. be able to laugh things out of the room and actually treat that's city why, policy like we are in a crisis. That's why we can't put the BRT yeah. on Warncliffe, no. because it's a heritage district. You know, like that uh, heritage district is a dangerous thing to get involved in. Yeah. It tells you what you can, what color it's, you can paint your well, house. Well, and here's the thing, and we talk about it in the context of the housing crisis, the climate crisis. Uh, flexibility is good. Flexibility and is very good. If you thing. limit flexibility, you yeah. wind up in having difficult situations. <laughs> and this is a very small example of limitation of flexibility. Yeah. But when we talk about, hey, maybe we could run a mass transit route down Warncliffe Road. Yeah. And I get there are pros and cons to that. I understand that. But if it's just taken off the table right away because there's a heritage district, right. you know, you've limited your flexibility yeah. there. Yeah. So, Well, that um, new building coming in right across from White Oaks Mall with the yeah. 1,200 units, that one came down to the three hours before the provincial deadline to do um, the bonusing. housing in it yep. for the bonusing because <laughs> um, we got over-prescriptive. Yep. Um, a staff person had p- put in the, that they wanted tra- uh, clear glass balconies. Oh. The developer said, well, what if the material we choose is plexiglass? Yeah. So then I was talking to staff behind the scenes. They're like, okay, clear plexiglass or like a clear material. Yeah. So I said, what's the outcome that you're trying to do? And they said, just break up the facade. And I said, well, I've had other residents with buildings being built by them that you know are afraid of the looky-loos or I don't want to see it. So I want it frosted glass. Yeah. So I said, you went from clear glass <laughs> to, to clear material. To and then in the end, it was like a transparent material for balconies. Like, and it was <laughs> yeah. just like, and then another counselor said, you're working for the developers. You're in their pocket. You're doing this. I said, I'm just trying to get housing built. <laughs> I want 1,200. And I don't yeah, care yeah, what yeah. the balcony is, yeah. glass or plastic, whatever wonderful material yeah. they have. <laughs> yeah, what, like, a, what an <laughs> insult to you. That, yeah. Working to build housing with a developer and you're called out because you're in the developer's pocket. That's such bullshit. I don't know how you didn't stand up. I would. I would probably be arrested for. <laughs> Carol, you would. You would not be uh, welcome in this council chamber. Right? No, I don't think so. Uh, we have yeah, security for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that that just that that boggles my mind for on a, on a couple of different levels. But the the, the main thing and and. Well, for starters, the province really, really hamstrung you guys with taking the bonusing oh, out. Yeah. That, yeah. that that yeah. that whole thing could have been way better if there wasn't the the waving sword of well, there's no bonusing next week, yeah. so who knows That's, what'll look like then. That would have been a much, much easier yeah. conversation, I think, for you yeah. guys. But uh, so th- that was a bad, bad piece of provincial policy. Uh, and, and as for the rest of it, just like at some point, this is someone who wants to build 1,200 homes. Just let them. Like we need, yeah. we need these yeah. homes so badly, and in that part of the city, we need these homes it's so badly. It's across the transit hub. Yeah. Yeah. This is the first it's across from a mall. Yeah. Like yeah, and we had letters of support no. from like Fanshawe, the mall, other like, retailers saying like there's yeah. no yes. there's no apartments out there. No, yeah. there's, there's no nothing <laughs> there. Yeah. For God's and sakes. it's a space that right now is a bunch of commercial space that a lot of it's empty. A lot of it's empty. We're not really using. And that also is commercial space that is incredibly easy to knock down and replace. Yes. Yes. When you're dealing with something like RBC Tower, that's a Mm -mm. fundamentally different calculation. Yeah. 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 You can't knock that over. Or at the very least, it takes you many, many years to do it. So if not in that spot, where? Yeah. Yeah. It's hideous. It's the gateway into London. Mm -hmm. Like, underutilized. If we're not going to do this next to White Oaks Mall, where is it okay to do it? (laughs) Yeah. 
and the answer is probably nowhere. Yeah. Uh, and the yeah. parking lot's bigger than the commercial. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That is a huge parking lot. You've done that amount too, Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about uh, one thing real quick before we wrap up, and I want to talk about uh, the news this week uh, involving David Johnston, who, of course, former governor general, and he was tasked by the Trudeau government to be the special rapporteur very fancy uh, to uh, look into foreign election interference and and he said look there is no need to have a a public inquiry into this for a variety of reasons one of which being well some of these some of the things that would be found out are too sensitive we can't have the public knowing about this and a few other things a lot of people ticked off about that including the opposition Um, and all three parties in the opposition yes clear yes everybody within the opposition not happy about the way that went down uh, a lot of people talking about insider trading from the perspective of Trudeau. Oh, David Johnston has some sort of vacation property next to your vacation property. Oh, it, it goes much deeper than that. Yeah. But that is one of the connections. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but I suspect that someone at Liberal HQ said David Johnston was the governor general appointed by Stephen Harper. So yes. everyone will be cool with this and it's going to be fine. We all know it was going to yeah. be a, either a former governor general or lieutenant governor or a former Supreme Court justice. Those are the only people that you can appoint to things in Canada these uh, days. Apparently those <laughs> yeah. are the only qualified people to lead a public inquiry, even though we have thousands upon thousands of academics and senior judges available. But anyways, but just them. I digress. Either way, uh, they've said, you know what, uh, conflict of interest or no, and according to David Johnston, he looked into the conflict of interest thing and someone said no, which, you know, fair enough. A uh, former Supreme Court justice. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's always that's always who you ask about this stuff. Uh, fair enough. Uh, they decide they're not going to do a public inquiry. I'm wondering about this from an electoral perspective, and I keep coming back to this. Like, this is something the opposition's all about, and they're mad, and they're fired up, and I get it, and it's our democracy is somewhat in peril from this perspective. However, I don't think the vast majority of Canadian voters remotely care. They care that their groceries are more expensive than they were two years ago. I don't know if they care about this. Maybe I'm being cynical, but I think I'm right. Am I right? Yeah, I, of course you are. Yeah, I don't yeah. feel vindicated by Johnson's report. I, no, no, I, I don't think that anyone's vindicated ah, by it. No, well, yeah, yes, they are. No, of course, the new the MP. I, I would say. If I were Han Dong, as much as the, the report looks good for you, to me, the way that you're vindicated is you win that lawsuit against yeah. Chorus Entertainment. See, yeah. I don't think he's going to win. Acknowledging my bias there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think he's going to win, though. Uh, because for me, this report has come out and said, when we look at the whole picture of the intelligence, in which Johnston apparently seen, but we do not get to right. see, there may have been some mischaracterizations of what went on. Right. He didn't outright say that there were blatant falsehoods in the reports he said that they may have been mischaracterized and i think one of the things to remember about this and even johnston's report goes through this is intelligence in indeed is a bunch of little scraps of paper that you try and tape back together to come up with a complete picture (laughs) what we're seeing here is that some scraps of paper that were quite damning got leaked the other scraps of paper that apparently vindicate mr dong were chosen to be still confidential and classified. Even though we've allegedly expelled the ambassador that is responsible for this. And it's very clear that China is interfering in our elections. I don't understand why there couldn't have been a limited release of classified information that is redacted, proving that indeed the government does not think Handong was collaborating with the CCP to hold the two Michaels longer than he should have. So you have gone into it in depth 
<clears throat> I'll bet you 90% of Canadians won't. No, they won't. And they that. won't care about it. Um, I agree with Craig. It's about putting food on your table, gas in your car, your taxes, uh, the cost of living, all that. Uh, you know, it's just it's just another icing bump on the cake of the screw-ups by the uh, Trudeau's government. So, like, I think people go, oh, not again. They're they're fed up, you know. My, you know how much it costs to buy a watermelon? Yeah. That's more important. Well, Ten bucks to buy a watermelon. And I just think it, it speaks to a larger problem that I, I hope Canadians do start to get a little bit more passionate about. Our governments at the municipal, the provincial, the federal level are allergic to any sort of transparency Correct. or accountability on government files. And I think we as Canadians need to start demanding that governments be a bit more open. Case in point that we were discussing earlier, the City of London does not have a staff directory anymore on their website. Right. I don't even know who works for my civic administration. I don't know who the deputy city managers are. I have to scroll through council reports to try and figure out who's reporting what. Terribly, terribly closed, the whole at, thing. Yeah, at the terrible. federal level, we have this report where, you know, yeah. pretty much everything is confidential unless it benefits the government. You'll remember that they released a bunch of classified documentation in regards to the Public Order or Emergency Commission. How is that any different from the classified intelligence that was collected yeah. as part of this? Or apparently an issue that has already been resolved yeah. by expelling the ambassador. I, I won't yeah. remember, and 90% of the people won't remember. It's, and it's unfortunate. It's, it's living day-to-day -day with a government who is an embarrassment to have, particularly when we send them overseas. I will say this. I don't see any non-embarrassing options. <laughs> no. This is the other problem. <laughs> no. This is the other problem. That's the, that's that's the thing. Like I just I just I just look at what the federal options are going to be, and I'm like, well, like if yeah. you want to say this government's an embarrassment, I think that's fine, and I agree. I just don't know where the non-embarrassing choices are. That's, well, that's and Johnston's report yeah. laid out, and also the Public Order Emergency Commission laid out, and I think we've even seen it on the actual daily issues that Canadians are paying attention to. The machinery of government is broken. At the federal level, yeah. there is something clearly. Someone was saying that Canada. <laughs> I am not going to go as far as to say Canada <laughs> is broken, but the machinery of government doing things at the federal level is struggling to get things done. Buying the CBC was the first <laughs> problem. <laughs> and there's Cheryl's hot take about the CBC. There it comes. Um, but I think you know we have a real problem at at the federal level, and we. There is no good option. I, I agree with Craig on that. Right now, I'm disappointed in where the leader of the official opposition is choosing to go with his rhetoric. I think there's a lot smarter ways to go about accomplishing the same outcome again. Uh, and I also think, you know, the, the, the federal NDP is not exactly acting like a federal party. They seem to be very, very concerned about provincial issues. And I would love it if Jagmeet Singh had resigned and actually ran for NDP leader in Ontario, because maybe they would have actually had a real leadership election. For the, uh, well, there's that. Uh, here's the thing about what Jagmeet Singh is up to today. He is in northwest London uh, right now, as we speak, with people on Webster Street who are being kicked out of their homes <laughs> because of renovation concerns. Yeah. That's, that, I don't that, think that's, that's a, a federal issue. That's that, nonsense. that is not a federal issue. That's I appreciate nonsense. that Jagmeet Singh is spending his political capital to help those people out and obviously a difficult situation, but that should not be the role of the federal NDP he leader. He has no political capital. Yeah. Jeez. He's likable, well, apparently. Is he? Apparently, according to Canadians, 54% of them like him. And his, he's the most likable party leader. Yeah, his, his, he was always 
yeah. very personable when I yeah. had an opportunity to speak to him. Um, and I will just say, as a city councilor, I'm grateful for any money for Londoners from any level of government, <laughs> any investment at any degree that can come home to our hardworking taxpayers. Acting mayor, I think we have a new deputy mayor on our head. And budget chief. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We've got a woman in charge of the money. Good. Yeah, I like it. That's important. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like. Well, we'll we'll see how that settles out. I just I, I get why the opposition's jumping up and down about it. I just don't know if most Canadians are terribly worried no, about it. No, I don't think no. they are. Yeah. All right, let's leave the conversation there because we are up against the clock. So thank you very much to Cheryl, Elizabeth, and AJ for doing the show with us today. Thank you very much to you for listening to, downloading, and subscribing to the Craig Needles podcast. We appreciate that. We hope you have a phenomenal weekend if you're listening to us on Friday or you're having a great weekend if you're listening to us on the weekend. And we will chat with you next week. The Craig Needles podcast is a presentation of the Blackburn Media Podcast Network.